Laserfiche is the leading SaaS provider of intelligent content management and business process automation. Welcome to our podcast, The Human Side of B2B Technology with Laserfiche's Noel and Noel, where we'll hear from two members of our team about how our team and our customers use B2B technology to make an impact. Hello, Noel. Hi, Noel L. Noel P. <laughs> Welcome back to the podcast, the human side of B2B technology with Noel and Noel. Today, we have a special guest, Michael Allen, Laserfiche's CTO, and we're going to chat with him about AI. Can you just give us a brief background on you, who you are, what you do at Laserfiche, how long you've been here, and anything else you'd like our listeners to know about you? Sure. Hi, Noel. So my name is Michael Allen. I'm the Chief Technology Officer at Laserfish. So I've been here a little over 20 years now. I started back in August of 2002. It was a difficult time to get a job at that time because that was when the dot-com crash Mm. happened. I don't know if you remember that. Mm -hmm. So Laserfish was hiring. It was uh, one of the few high-technology employers in Southern California at that time that were actively hiring, uh, you know, junior uh, software engineers right out of school. Uh, I was subscribed to the Harvey Mudd College. That's my alma mater. Harvey Mudd College's uh, career office posted a job ad, and I responded, and uh, now I'm the CTO. Very nice. <laughs> uh, I've been with Laserfish. Well, there, I've seen a lot of changes over the over my time at Laserfish, and I've been involved with Mainly on the server, the repository, but I've, I've participated in the development of just about all of our products here, uh, especially the Laserfish Cloud, which I was the chief architect of that. Uh, so it's been a really interesting journey, and I've learned uh, so much here during my time at Laserfish. Yeah, 20 years is a really long time, and it's been interesting to see technology change over that time. Speaking of that, I mean, AI has been a pretty big topic recently. So maybe let's start off with just a baseline of what is generative AI and what does it do? Yeah, so AI has been a... Um, overnight success story that's been 50 years in the making. What we're seeing now is a culmination of decades of work that have really captured the public's imagination through innovations like ChatGPT. So what generative AI is, is it's a specific application or type of AI that uses machine learning models or artificial intelligence systems to generate content in some media. So that's typically text, but it could also be images. It could be sound or audio in the form of music or speech. So ChatGPT is the most well-known of these. That's called generative AI because if you give it what's known as a prompt, which is some input that you type in, it generates a reasonable or compelling uh, response to that prompt. And this is somewhat different from other uses of AI, which, so AI is divided, or the use of AI, um, what Practitioners call these things tasks, uh, which is how the AI is actually being used. So what machine learning has been used for, and AI uses machine learning technology, uh, what machine learning tasks have been really been used for is typically up until somewhat recently, and actually I guess today it's still the predominant use is classification. So that's given some input, tell me what class it belongs to, or things like sentiment analysis, which is a type of classification in a sense. But the output is relatively constrained. So with classification, where you're giving it a picture of something and you're identifying whether or not it's a dog or a cat or a car, for example, the set of outputs is constrained to a well-known set. So the difference with that 
with those tasks and generative AI is that the output space is essentially infinite. Not only is it infinite in terms of it's the size of the domain, but the length of the output could also be variable. So with images, typically you have maybe a fixed or maximum size for the image output, but it's so large of a space, it's practically infinite. And for text, it could be uh, the output Output can be variable length and can be quite long. And when you consider the amount of words in any given language and you multiply that by the length of the text that could be output, you can see that the output space is very large. So that is how generative AI is distinguished from other forms of AI and other tasks. And it's uniquely valuable in a business context because obviously if you can take a machine learning system and use it to generate business valuable output, rather than just deciding what the next step in a process should be, or that obviously has additional use cases. Well, and it's very big with consumers right now, right? I mean, you just go to chat GPT and anyone can do it. I heard all kinds of different age groups talking about it, kids, adults, in the workplace we're talking about it. It's really blown up recently. Yeah, I think right now it's having the biggest impact by far in our personal lives in the consumer space. And there's a huge amount of buzz about it in industry, in a business setting. But if you actually ask business leaders, if you actually ask executives, okay, who has actually used it in a business setting, you don't get a lot of responses right now. It's very much in the idea stage or the exploratory stage. Our personal lives, it's different there. Obviously, the stakes are lower. People can just try it out. There's not the concerns about privacy or the same concerns, I should say, about privacy and regulation and compliance. So kids are using it a whole bunch for homework, for good and for bad. I actually was, I was actually at a dinner the other night and uh, one of the guests there, their kids were there. So uh, she mentioned that, because we were talking about AI and generative AI. It's it's, (laughs) it's a very common topic. Uh, They happened to know I was CTO of Lacefish, so they, uh, they asked me about it. So she said, oh, yeah, I was helping my daughter or suggested my daughter use uh, generative AI to help with their homework with uh, writing a poem. But they were against it because they said it was plagiarism. And I said, no, 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 it's just it's just a way to get ideas. And so I thought that was funny. I think it's so a lot of these technologies that have really swept the world over the past 20 years have started out in the consumer space and they've migrated over to the enterprise. And so this phenomenon has been given a name. It sometimes is called the consumerization of IT. We see BYOD as kind of an earlier incarnation of this phenomenon. Today, it's not, it's commonplace to see iPhones and iPads in the workplace with BYOD, etc. cetera, bring your own device. So when we, see, when we see a technology become popular in our personal lives in the consumer market, Generally speaking, these technologies, if they have wide use, wide applicability, it's only a matter of time before they make their way uh, into the workplace. And that can be done in a way that's controlled by IT, or that can be done in a way that's not as controlled by IT. But when workers find a technology that they think is useful, that helps with productivity or getting things done, it's really hard to stop them from using it. So it's not really, from what I'm hearing and from what I'm seeing, it's not being deployed in production or applied at scale strategically yet, but I think uh, that's going to change over the next few years. It's definitely part of our conversations, that's for sure. How is this going to affect the workplace? But on the school front, back in my day, (laughs) we 
when we would write essays and things like that and turn them in, we would have to turn them in through turnitin.com, mm-hmm. which would check for plagiarism. So I'm sure there's going to be different types of software now that check to see if AI wrote your essays or did your homework that exists. for you. That actually exists. There are uh, services out there that if you give it text, it, it, they purport to identify whether or not it's likely that it was generated by one of these generative AI systems. But they can be fooled. But these services already exist and there's already demand for them. I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about AI in higher education. Mm. And they were saying that professors have been using those tools to check, but they're still reading things and they're still now skeptical of what students are turning in because even, yeah, even though the system's saying, no, this wasn't generated by AI, they're still reading some of these prompts from students. It's still, it doesn't sound it doesn't it, it like he was saying like it doesn't have the emotion or the heart that people typically write with and so he's still skeptical of it's it's changing so, how he's teaching now yeah so if you look at if you've tried using chat gpt and i i think you both have uh noel um <laughs> it uh, comes off as kind of robotic mm-hmm. and kind of cold but that's actually by design so the way these systems work uh and a lot of it is kind of secret but in general at a high level the way the, these natural language processing generative AI systems work like ChatGPT is that they're trained on a large body of text, typically social media. And so there's a lot of things out there in social media. The raw form of it is when you give it prompts, it will autocomplete it with text that's pretty crazy, actually, and uh, very different than what you actually see when you use it, uh, if you were to use it through you know, ChatGPT or Bing AI, which is another interface of the same model. What they do, what these um, companies like OpenAI do, is they use another machine learning technique called reinforcement learning. It's human-directed reinforcement learning. And what they essentially, without getting into detail, they have human workers interact with this sort of raw, unrefined model where they give it prompts and then they score the output depending on whether it's good or they don't want to see it. And so using this reinforcement learning algorithm can update the weights or the parameters of this model depending on whether or not the human evaluators score these responses highly or not. The models become more controlled and the output they produce is less objectionable. These companies are trying to develop models that produce output that has a certain characteristic or attribute that we would say has kind of a robotic quality to it, kind of a professional quality. But that's due to this reinforcement learning. I don't think that it's a technical problem to produce AI that actually conveys a greater sense of emotion. I don't think that that's actually impossible at all. There's no technical reason why that would have to be the case. It's just that was not the way that these models were tuned through this human-directed reinforcement learning process. So it's true that the products on the market, the services on the market now have this kind of cold robotic quality. But I think over time, as we see a proliferation of these NLP models, as the cost goes down and the technology becomes more widespread, what you'll see is you'll see models that are more tuned to specific use cases. And some of them will actually trick some people into thinking, oh, this is, uh, that there's an emotion here. Yeah. Kind of relief we're not there yet. (laughs) Yeah. I I took a um, workshop recently on kind of social media. They were suggesting using ChatGPT to create scripts for social media posts and whatnot. And so we played with it a little bit and I didn't realize you can tell it, please write a section or a script about blah, blah, blah in a fun and conversational tone. Was it super fun and conversational? Not as much, but it was fascinating that you can kind of give it the prompt to be a little lighter with its output. 
So yeah, no, I did. Someone shared something with me written in AI and you could tell like that, that professor and like what you're saying, Michael, like really it's, you can tell. So it's a relief right now. Mm-hmm. There was some time to ease it. Yeah. <laughs> but I like what you're saying also, like it's a thing for ideas with your friend's daughter, or the, the child. Yeah. Like you use it for ideas, which I mean, then at that point, like it kind of gets you over that hump. Like if you have a writer's block or you have something that can help spark some idea to then get your creative mind working. Right. In a sense, it's actually kind of disturbing because it's more creative than most of us. <laughs> And then what a human being does is they, they can take the text and they can tweak it so that it matches their, the tone they're looking for and their particular style and, and their voice. But the actual ideas come from elsewhere. Another thing I'll say is there's a big difference between school and work, obviously. One of the biggest differences that we all know, but I think AI, when we think about the deployment of these models in a way that's helpful uh, to those environments, to either the student or the business, is that in school, the answers are known. There's a right answer. There is for a math problem, there's typically one answer or an essay or history, whatever it is, even if there's not a precise answer, like a given number, there's something, there's a very clear idea of what the professor is looking. So this is one reason why AI does so well in those environments, because there's a very clear end goal. It's what the answer is. In business, it's not even clear what the question is. These AI models, they struggle to give you an answer when you don't have, when you don't give it the right input, when you don't give it the right question. So that's another challenge, I think, to deploying AI in a business environment that's going to have the same efficacy as students have found it to be in their schoolwork. I think that is a gap that will close over time as the technology advances, but there, that is a big difference using AI in a school environment or in a personal versus business context where it's not clear what the rules of the game are. It's not even clear what the questions should be, let alone the answers. And there's just a lot of unknowns that are changing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the options are limitless, but there is a huge difference between personal use, which I feel like is how we mainly talk about it, Mm -hmm. and then business use, where it's sort of like, there's this thing, let's imagine how we can use it. Yeah. (laughs) So, we had so many questions from Michael Allen that exceed what we would like to put out in an episode. We like to make them, you know, smaller, bite-sized chunks that we're going to save the rest of our conversation for next week. So our next episode will be part two on generative AI. We'll talk to you then. Talk to you then. Laserfish is the leading SaaS provider of intelligent content management and business process automation. And our mission is to inspire everyone on how technology can change the world. 